You know, I realized last Sunday after the preaching that I've spoken for about an hour. <laughs> and I said to myself, I'm not going to apologize for that. And I'm going to speak another hour. <laughs> Stretch it a little further. Hour, 15 minutes. That's right. Last week, we have seen the historical background of the city of Philippi. How it was a Roman colony. And we also saw from Acts 16 how that church in Philippi came to be by the grace of God. And God sent Paul and his team to proclaim the news, good news of Jesus Christ. And I've told you the gap between Acts 16 and the letter to the church at Philippi, as you see it, is about 10 years Church began, we have seen some of the mixture of uh, different people in that church. Lydia and household, slave girl, demon-possessed slave girl. Now, uh, demon was cast out. And the jailer and his household. And we were so glad to find out that church over the span of 10 years grew. How do you know? Because like I said, we said in verse 1, we hear that it includes overseers and deacons. In plural. And let me read those two verses again. In prison, Apostle Paul is writing to the church that he himself, by the grace of God, started in Macedonia. In Roman colony. Paul. And Timothy. In Greek it says. Timotheos. Honoring God. That's his name. Timothy. Bond servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints. In Christ Jesus. Who are in Philippi. Including. Overseers. And. Deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I've told you what led me to Philippians. It was that first, second half of first chapter of Philippians, but I had to begin from the beginning. And as I was meditating upon this text, what drew my attention was the word saint. Or saints. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So today I am going to speak on that topic of living as saints, as Christ's saints in this fallen world. Apostle Paul could have said, to all my friends in Philippi. Or he could have said, to the faithful in Philippi, just like Ephesians 1.1. Or he could have said, to all the religious people. Or he could have said, to all my brothers and sisters in Christ, just as he says in Colossians 1.2. Or his favorite word, if you examine all of his letters, his favorite word as he addresses the people is what? The church. 
So he would say, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Galatians, to the churches of Galatia, Ecclesia. Or Thessalonians, to the church of the Thessalonians. His favorite word in addressing Christians is the church. He's addressing the church. But today, Holy Spirit, who inspired Paul to write what he wanted, God calls them the saints. Literally, when you look that up, it says the holy ones or holy people. And that holy adjective will be applied to the Holy Spirit as well. So to the holy ones, to all the holy ones in Philippi. That's how he is addressing the Christians in Philippi. I don't know how many of you grew up in Catholic church. Some of you did, some of your spouses did, some of your friends did. Maybe you grew up in it. But if you grew up in Catholic tradition, the word saint means something else. A saint, according to them, is a holy person who is known for his or her heroic sanctity. So from the 10th century, they formalized a process to identify and adopt those spiritual elites, the saints. And that process is called canonization. They say they now they have about 10,000 saints. 10,000 saints. That's, that, that is a lot. But when you think about it, compared to the Christians in general for two millennia, 10,000 would be, I don't know, top 0.1%? I don't know. 10,000 saints are recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. And canonization process, there are three qualifications to be a saint in Roman Catholic Church. First, you have to be dead. There's no living saint. A person has to be dead. Second, extraordinary life. Something that people will say, wow, that is, that is a saintly life. And the third qualification is that there has to be attested miracles. So if you look it up, they are trying to identify not only the holy people, but what was done in and through them, the miracles. They are obsessed with miracles. So usually the canonization process will take a long time. It's not done in a month, decades, even hundreds of years to verify all of that. Then you could be a saint in that church. But over the years, if you look at the history, all of those saints are given feast days in Catholic Church. So almost always those canonization and if somebody becomes a saint, it always leads to offering prayers to them, mass, celebrate mass to them, invoking their names in your prayers. So, veneration of the saints. What do we call that? Idolatry. If you look at any medieval history, right before Luther comes along, 
Most ordinary European medieval Christians, what are they doing? They go to church and they listen to Latin mass. They will eat the bread, but not the cup that is reserved for the priests in the front. But they will chase after what is known as holy relics. Complete superstition. So, for example, when Luther became young professor at the University of Wittenberg, Frederick the Wise was the elector, protector of that realm. In his castle church, uh, Frederick the Wise amassed thousands of holy relics, and once a year they would open the doors to the peasants, and they would come in, and they would go through, and they pay the tributes and entrance. Fees, and that's how they collected money, piece of clothing from some saint, piece of wood from the cross. All kinds of works of miracles are attested to all of the, the objects. That was medieval Catholicism. Hans Luther sent his young son to University of Erfurt when he was 17 years old to make him a lawyer. But one night he was coming back to that university. There's a lightning, lightning struck right next to him. And he was so terrified, he prays this way. Help, St. Anna, I will become a monk. He did become one, and the rest is history. Medieval Catholicism is all about relics and the saints. Even Martin Luther, young Luther will not call upon the name of Christ. If you are terrified, wouldn't you pray to God? Jesus, help me, you will say. But it was not so in medieval church. Even young Luther will call upon St. Anna. And whatever your job or vocation was, each guild will have patron saint. Whatever worship, this is the protector of the miners. So Hans Luther was one of the owners of the mine. So he was a rich man and they will worship some saint, a saint who is watching over the miners. And if your job is really dangerous, like seamen, they have all kinds of saints that they are worshiping or praying to, sacrificing to. That's right, that is... The idea of saint in Catholic Church. And I suspect that is still the case. Look at all the Catholic Church's names. Bible says, as you have seen, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. All Christians in Philippi, obviously born again true Christians, they are called saints. I didn't print it out for you, but the end of the chapter, Philippians chapter 4, verse 21 and following, he ends his letter in this way. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So in the New Testament, to be a Christian is to be a saint. Theologically speaking, if you look at the verse again, 
It says, to all the saints who are in Philippi. Does it say? It says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Only qualification for you to be a saint is to be in Christ. How? By confessing, by believing, by putting your trust and faith in Christ Jesus. And then you are already in Christ. So to be in Christ is to be a saint. And also it says, who are in Philippi? I saw this as interesting. First part, in Christ Jesus talks about invisible church. How the true Christian will confess the name of Christ. But also, it does not simply say invisible people throughout generations of, 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 of a Christian church. But who are this present participle in Philippi? We don't know exactly what the dealings were in terms of church gathering in Philippi. Whether they were gathering in all these different houses, household as a church, or they were able to rent out a spacious place out, we don't know. But what this verse is saying is to all the saints in Christ Jesus, those of you who repented and believed in Christ Jesus, but also those people who are recognizable by attending or or being part of a local church in Philippi, those people, Bible calls them saints. This is not a, an idea that is, in Christianity, we call people saints. It's not simply an idea, but being a saint, to be in Christ, is to describe our present reality. The big word will be ontological reality. Where are we here in physical body? But in our spirit, we are united to and with Christ in the heavenly places. So union with Christ. In Christ, Jesus defines you as a saint. That union with Christ, that is mystical, spiritual, but a real union with the risen Christ. Therefore, this designation of us being a saint is real designation. This is not a religious hope. But it describes the present reality that you and I enjoy already now in Christ Jesus. Also, if you look at that verse, what do you find? When you think about the word, the holy ones, the hagios, that root word. When I looked it up, it basically carried over the Old Testament idea of Holiness. What is holiness in the Old Testament? To be set apart. When you think about an idea of a saint, immediately we think about someone. But when God calls you a saint, our own reality is in Christ. So it is a status, heavenly status, gracious status. But at the same time, if that idea of Old Testament is carrying over to the New Testament, We are set apart for the good works that God has prepared for us. So it is a movement 
built into it. It is not simply someone sitting on top of a mountain, a saint. But Christ calls you by grace, his saint. And immediately I notice it is not simply to sit there, enjoy some kind of peace, inner peace. But God has set us apart to use us for his glory. So we could think about our service to Christ. All of these ideas, theological ideas, what it means to be a Christian and a saint at the same time, by virtue of being in Christ Jesus, should come to your minds as you read these verses. Keep that in mind. I've said, I've talked about this story one time I remember talking to you. I've read it from a book. One of the pastors was writing, he was writing when he was a young preacher. He, after the preaching sermon, he would stand at the, at the door shaking people as they leave the sanctuary. And one older gentleman shook his hand and said to him, to that young preacher, there was a fine sermon, young man. Now back to reality, he said. When I first read that, I mean, as a pastor, it broke my heart. But at the same time, that, what he describes in that book, really is the reality, I think. First few minutes today, I've been talking about that word, saint. That's right, I'm a saint in Christ. But what is the reality? Let's do that reality check, as that older man said. Now back to reality. Why don't you do this test right now in your own mind? Saint blank, and put your name into it. Saint someone. Just do it. Saint Sam. Saint Tom. Saint Sophia. Saint Caris. I don't want to embarrass the rest of you. Elder and my family, my children. But if you put that into the test, what comes to your mind? Probably you would say in your heart, that's absurd. Bewilderment, if I could call it that way. Saint Sam, Saint you, Saint you, so and so. But that's exactly what the Bible says. All the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, all the saints in RPC who have believed and confessed in Jesus Christ, then if you're a Christian, then you're a saint. But when we put that word saint, I believe the right word will be embarrassment. That word, I've been thinking about this word for two weeks. If I call you a Christian, you could come to a church once a week, and for the rest of the week, the word, the designation, the title, Christian, really, you could leave it here and go out and come back and pick it up again. But if I call you saint, 
It will haunt you throughout the week. It is a divine searchlight put right onto you, put you in the spot. And like the Bible says, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open, laid bare into the eyes of him with whom is our reckoning. So the same idea, to be a Christian is to be a saint. But when you emphasize that you are a saint, it is a scary thought. Why? Because we, all of us, recognize the gap between the saint and where we are. Failures, shortcomings. And if you are like me, carrying the badge of being a pastor, that does not go away. So, the failures of myself would be more pronounced in me. That's the reality. Problem of God calling us as His saints, though it is a glorious one, this is justification issue. They do not say, like Catholic Church, canonization process, and only the select few will become a saint. But as God pronounces you as simultaneously just and sinful, God will still call you a saint, yet a sinner. So the problem is that, not that He's calling us saints, but the problem is what? That we are living in this fallen world. If you have no idea of that, if that word saint does not move you, there's nothing I could do. But if you are a serious Christian, trying to live a Christian life, what what is the reality? Though there is yearning inside of me to become as holy as I could be, I want to be, the world does not leave you alone. Isn't 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 that the reality? The attacks come from outside. It could be verbal, it could be physical, it could be psychological. It will cause you much stress, anxiety, fear, but most of all, it will make you feel guilty. Because we know, we understand what this means. We understand that you are a saint. But like that old gentleman who's saying, oh, now back to reality. What is he saying? I understand, but the reality is not as easy as you think, young preacher. You think it's easy to live in this fallen world as a saint? That's right. The saint, the word is haunting you throughout the week. And it will break your heart, but most of all, it will make you feel guilty. I think that's, that's how most people will find this to be. world is full of irrational, violent, mean-spirited people. The world is full of them. And uh, 90% of them live in New York City. I am, I am sure that's the case. Everywhere you turn, and I named that person, I thought about it, whether this is correct or not correct, but I don't want to repeat irrational, violent, mean-spirited people every time I speak. So, word came, the name came to my mind, Dominic. 
I, I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I'm, to make my life easier today, I'm just calling that person dominant. It could be a woman, man, older man, young man. I don't know. But especially here in New York, this Dominic is everywhere. They are in the school. Not simply your peers, that could be your teacher. Uh, that could be doctors, nurses that we trust in, but that could still be those people. Cold and mean people. I'm not saying anything against them. I'm saying you, you see them everywhere, meet them everywhere. They are in a grocery store as you shop. They bump into you. They are in the train. As you wait in the line in Target, there he or she is. What's the problem then? How do you risk? What do we do is the question. You could ignore that person and walk away. Then everything's fine. But what if that person is someone that you have to see every day? At school, at work, maybe at home, I don't know. Your neighbors, above you, below you, next to you. Literally, they are not going away. You feel powerless. You are angry at that person, but also sometimes at you. Because like I said, you know, you know, I know. We are saints. But our response to those Dominics are not saintly ones. That's always the case. That is struggle. Before we talk about evangelism, missions, great church service, everything, I think first thing is to survive, really, in New York City, just to stay sane. Just to stay a Christian is a struggle. And even I face that. But you live in the world in the sense of your vocation, your jobs, with wicked people everywhere. So this is a real challenge for all of us. I'm not going to say how to, because I don't know, really. All kinds of variables and different situations. It requires much wisdom and sanctification. And I also know we shouldn't tone down the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus, like Matthew 5. You shall love your neighbor. Right? And if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine. Never take your own revenge. But is it easy to obey these things? It's not easy. Then, I found one thing from this verse. As I was reading this verse, just trying to get to the second half of chapter 1. Really, that's, I was going to speak like a couple of Sundays and move on. But that word, saint, just pierced my heart. And I thought, that's right, I'm a saint. 
before I am a pastor, I'm a saint. And by being a saint of Christ, his, his saint in Christ Jesus, there are certain things that you just cannot do, correct? So, you lose. Simply by being a Christian and a saint, you lose because you cannot. You cannot, or at least you should not, go after that wicked person. That's the reality. But I found one consolation in this verse. That is, it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's right. I'm not a simply a saint trying to be a saint. Though that is the case. I'm not simply a saint trying to act like a saint. But I realize, and you should too, that I am located in Christ Jesus. Who are you? A saint. Where are you? In Christ. That's why I'm a saint. Therefore, you are found in Him. That is, He is upholding you. Remember, we've been talking about the covenant signs and how I've asked you to shift your perspective. Not simply so much on you trying to remember God, God's commands, but it is God placing His promise upon you. I think here too. As long as you think about saint as a status, attainment, or achievement, then you will always fall short of that high status. So there will be always this gap and there will always create guilty feelings for us. But if you realize being a saint is primarily has to do with you being in Christ, I would say that a Christian is a saint, but he's in Christ, therefore it is not so much that I'm trying to live like or act like saint, which we should. But first and foremost, I will say that you should remember by being in Christ, it is Christ who is upholding you. What that means is, let me ask you this question, which is more fundamental. Why are they called saints, these Christians in Philippi, as we have seen Acts 16? Remember, Paul was trying to go east and west, uh, north. But no, God said, to the west. They crossed the Aegean Sea and via Ignatia, they come to Philippi. Lydia, household, demon-possessed girl, cast out, jailer, household, plus, I don't know, now up to 200 people after 10 years later with multiple deacons and elders in their church. Why are they called saints? Because they are in Christ Jesus. Why are they in Christ Jesus? Because God has set His sight upon them and because God has loved them. That's why 
they are saints and being addressed as all the saints in Christ Jesus. They didn't earn it. They didn't attain it. They didn't achieve it. But it is given by, freely, by His grace to them. Why? Again, I ask. Because in love, God predestined them to be adopted as sons and daughters of Christ. So you know what I did past two weeks? But I was reminding, I was keep reminding myself of this, that, this phrase. I am loved by God. And it did wonders to me. If you meet a maverick, uh, not maverick, <laughs> Dominic, I'm sorry, Dominic, you will find your heart beating faster. Oh, he or she is a wicked person. Maybe I should have done more to love him or her, you know, introduce Christ sacrificially of them. All that guilty feelings will attack you. And I hope and pray that we could reach that level because that is indeed our calling. But first of all, we need to guard our hearts. And what I've been saying into my own heart to remind myself was that not simply I was saying I'm a saint, but I was talking to myself, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Not I'm a Christian, not I am a pastor, not I am a Christian, though they are great titles, but the very simple fact. Isn't it the bottom line? Isn't it the very foundation of all God's saving act? What is? Not election. Left, right, left, right, you go to hell, you go to heaven. No, not that kind of mechanical separation of people. But God's love for you. So I am a saint. I am his saint equals I am loved by God. Being a saint is not first and foremost about your duty. But it's about God delighting in you because you are united to His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Your failures are many. Mine as well. But the great gospel truths from this text is that God loves you in Christ with a steadfast love that never ceases. Whatever that you are going through, will go through, I hope and pray that you will remind yourself of the fact that you are loved by God this week. Repeat that every time when your heart is beating faster. When, when you want to react to that person with the same level of wickedness, and we are so tempted to do that. There are so many of them. But then you remember that 
God has shown you mercy. That you are his saint. But that you are loved by him. Even with all that failures. And you wonder why. Why would God do that for me? That's right. You will never figure it out. For all eternity, you will be singing hymns and praises to this gracious God who has shown you that kind of love to you. You didn't deserve it, like Philippians. Unless God has sent the team to the West, they will not. They will perish in their own sins. But God saved them by His grace. I hope you could remember that. That you are a saint. That you are loved by Him in Jesus Christ. Then you could go on living your Christian life for His glory as His saint. Let us pray.